Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gents, wherever or whenever you are. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Well, the NFL trading camps are winding down, preseason is officially here, and the NFL's 100th season, yeah, you heard that right, 100th season is set to kick off in T minus four weeks. Uh, our favorite time of year has truly arrived, and in that spirit, we continue our 2019 division by division preview series with a look at the AFC East. And who better to analyze all things Patriots, Bills, Jets, and Dolphins than my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com and MusketFire.com. Hal, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you back on, my friend. David, it's great to be back and talking football. The preseason is here at last, and like you said, only a few weeks away until we have real games again. I am ecstatic. Oh, I am ecstatic as well, and made even more so by my voyage to Canton, Ohio for Pro Football Hall of Fame and Shryman festivities last week. God, that was a blast. It sounded like it. I was following you on Instagram and Twitter as well, and wish I could have been there too. It looked like a great, great time. Oh, yeah, it was a very special week for my Denver Broncos, having Champ Bailey and Pat Boland go in at the same time, and also your Patriots with Ty Law getting it as well. And uh, this makes me uh, kind of hope that uh, Tom Brady actually does play for another 10 years so he and Von Miller could go in the same year and we could go together. <laughs> that would be fantastic, exactly. And speaking of the Patriots, let's start off with the Patriots. Uh, your New England Patriots coming off their NFL record sixth Super Bowl victory. And this season is going to be very interesting, especially on offense, because Tom Brady is going to be dealing with a relatively unproven receiving core. Arguably the biggest question mark as far as the receiving core goes on the Patriots since that 2013 season. And when you look at these Patriots receivers, only two players are locked into key roles. Uh, you got Super Bowl 53 MVP Julian Edelman and rookie first round pick Nikhil Harry. But after that, it's a log jam and jobs are wide open. How is the Patriots wide receiver course shaping out beyond Edelman and Nikhil Harry? Well, it's very interesting because the Patriots also have Julian Edelman out with a thumb injury. He's not expected to start practicing until around preseason game three at the earliest. So we've seen a lot of young veteran Maurice Harris stepping in in the slot position. We're seeing Philip Dorsett, who the Patriots acquired a couple of years ago from the Colts, a first round draft pick of the Colts, who has never lived up to that potential yet. And you're seeing, you know, street free agents like Dontrell Inman out there, undrafted free agents. The big name for the Patriots that's been lighting camp on fires, undrafted free agent wide receiver Jacoby Myers, all of Six foot three, he fits that big outside receiver that they're looking for, and he's been catching everything, acrobatic catches, a huge surprise of the camp so far, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the lights come on and whether that production continues or he's just one of those training camp stories that flame out. Very interesting, and fantasy owners keep those two names on your radar. And speaking of fantasy, let's go to our Patriots fantasy focus. This Patriots team, especially given the retirement of uh, Rob Gronkowski, at least where it currently stands, is going to more closely resemble those Patriots teams of the early 2000s that won the Super Bowl with pounding the rock on the ground and playing elite-level defense. And our Sony Michel whose current ADP, according to Fantasy Football Calculator, is around 48th overall, or James White, 
whose current ADP is around 54th overall. Are they worth it at their current ADP, or would you pass given the presence of Rex Burkhead and rookie Damian Harris? Well, Rex Burkhead is already dinged up in training camp, so that's been the story of his career both in Cincinnati and New England. It's very hard to count on him. They've got rookie Alabama running back Damian Harris, who wasn't a lead back in college, and the third-round pick is getting eased into that offense. So I would say those ratings are a little bit low. Rob Gronkowski retired. You're going to see James White more involved in the passing game. I've been telling people, think back to the AFC Divisional Round game against the Los Angeles Chargers, where White had 15 receptions in that playoff game. You're going to see a lot of that, especially early on in the season from the Patriots utilizing him in matchups in the passing game. And Sony Michelle is that lead back. I think he should be going much higher. The Patriots are going to lean on him. He's going to be fully healthy. Remember, all that great work he did last year was with a knee injury that kind of had him banged up through training camp and he missed a couple games early in the season and really was never at full strength the entire time. So I take it this is going to be a run-first Patriots offense like the ones in the early 2000s. It, it really is. It's it's going to be, you know, running the ball, setting up the play action. We'll probably see a lot of play action from the Patriots, a lot of big sets, extra tight ends into block as well. One or two wide receiver sets, something that, you know, hasn't been the Patriots look of really the last 10 years. But it's, a uh, you know, as the NFL zigs towards the passing game, it's always the Patriots that are zagging and going to that back to the future offense. And that is vintage Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels right there. And based on what you were talking about, it looks like James White could be a godsend in PPR leagues for many owners. Definitely, especially PPRs. He should be flying up that chart. You know, he could be finishing close to 100 receptions this year, depending on how that receiving core shakes out, whether Josh Gordon comes back from suspension, whether Demarius Thomas gets healthy. So there's a lot of question marks there in that receiving core, and they're going to have to lean on those running backs and especially White in that passing game. They most certainly are, and as it looks at the moment, the strength of this Patriots team that won them the Super Bowl against the Rams is the defense, and they had arguably the league's best quarter last year at Stephon Gilmore, and he's a year older and wiser in the system, and you also added two fantastic rookies in Chase Winovich, who you drafted in the third round, a defensive end out of Michigan, and Jawan Williams, who you traded up to select in the second round, a tall 6'3 quarter out of Vanderbilt who's been compared to Richard Sherman by noted NFL draft analyst Luke Easterly. He thinks he can be the next version of Richard Sherman. Which of those two do you think has the bigger impact for the Patriots' defense this season, Jawan Williams or Chase Winovich? I think overall it's going to be Chase Winovich. The Patriots, um, you know, obviously need help in that pass rush department. They did lose Trey Flowers. They brought in Michael Bennett. If they're going to a 3 4, you're going to see Bennett more on the inside. So needing somebody to, to come flying off that edge, you're looking at Chase Winovich there. I'm looking at Williams. There's such a log jam in that Patriots secondary right now with Gilmore, with veteran Jason McCourty. They had undrafted free agent J.C. Jackson, who played a big role, slot cornerback Jonathan Jones, who they re-signed this year on a one-year restricted deal. 
And in addition to Williams coming in, they have last year's second round draft pick Duke Dawson as well, who was basically a red shirt last year. And you're adding him into that mix. And I just don't think the opportunities are going to be there for Williams. You're going to see him more in a specific matchup role as a rookie. I think they'll roll him out when they want to throw a wrinkle at somebody like Travis Kelsey and be able to match him up with a, a big cornerback. And I, I see that as Williams role initially here and Winovich Morris, that third down designated pass rusher to fly off the edge and hopefully have a bigger impact that way. And also with the Chase Winovich, based on the scouting reports I read of him, he looks to be the guy that they've been looking for to replace Rob Nikovich. Exactly. He fits that same mold. He's got that. He doesn't have the full package of pass rushing tools and that first step quickness, but he has that unstoppable motor, doesn't give up on the plays, is strong and can set the edge in the running game. And that's just a Bill Belichick kind of guy that he wants on his defense. Exactly. And now moving on to the New York Jets. And this is a team that many people are quietly praising around the National Football League with uh, Adam Gase in his first year as head coach, although he doesn't get me the most excited about the Jets. But you've got a very talented new GM in Joe Douglas and obviously Sam Darnold, who I am very high on long term. The New York Jets, this could be the year where they start to make some noise, uh, even if they do not win the AFC East or make the playoffs. And if you look at uh, the upgrades they made around Sam Darnold to help him out, uh, you obviously got Le'Veon Bell. In, and I think he should help tremendously. And look at that interior offensive line. You trade for Kalechi Osemele, and word out of training camp is that Osemele is completely healthy and is approaching the level of play he had with Baltimore when he uh, made the Pro Bowl, and Joe Douglas was with him in Baltimore around that time. So uh, Kalechi Osemele could be a big help to Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold on that interior offensive line. And you just recently learned Ryan Khalil out of retirement, whose uh, intelligence in the game could really help Sam Darnold flourish, as Ryan Khalil will hold down the pivot for the Jets uh, this season. And you also brought in Jamison Crowder to be a slot receiver uh, to line up in between Quincy Adunwa and Robbie Anderson. And by the way, Quincy Adunwa and Robbie Anderson are no slouches, folks. And yes, uh, the suspension of Chris Herndon is going to hurt for the first four weeks. But Chris Herndon, very underrated young tight end, when he gets back, uh, Sam Donald is going to have quite the toys to play with. And given those new additions I mentioned, how big of a second-year leap can we expect from Sam Donald? Well, I think Darnold showed that processing of the NFL, really, if you looked at him in those last four or five games of the season, his play really picked up at the end of last season. And if that's something that he can carry over here into 2019, add, just adding those tools around him and and really fortifying, like you talked about, that interior of the offensive line. I mean, you look at last year, they had Brian Winters and, you know, gaping holes for pass rushers. That was about it. And so they've taken a, a big step forward in building around Darnold, building that protection. And if they can get Le'Veon Bell running like the Le'Veon Bell out of Pittsburgh with no ill effects after sitting out a year, that is a big boost to that offense. And and I, I like that you brought up Jamison Crowder. I think if he can stay healthy, he's one of those, you know, sneaky underrated moves that ends up paying off in a, a 
big role for that team and really just being able to be that safety net, having that guy for Darnold to, to find on those third and shorts across the middle and pick up those little first downs makes a big difference to an offense over the course of a season. It most certainly does. And speaking of Le'Veon Bell, that brings us to our Jets fantasy focus. Currently, Le'Veon Bell's ADP is seven overall, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. And is Le'Veon Bell worth it at that current ADP? Or given the uncertainty, given the fact that he took a year off and is now playing behind arguably a downgraded offensive line compared to the one uh, he had in Pittsburgh? Or would you rather take uh, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones at that juncture of your draft? You know, it's really tough with Bell having sat out that season. It's a new offense. It's, you know, new blockers in front of him. I mean, you really have to look back at, you know, the years that Bell has been running behind that Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line. And that's really been, I mean, you just go back year by year they're either number one number two at the lowest number three offensive line in that league I mean that's just such a strong unit with great continuity and communication that allows Bell to be such a patient runner and it's a big big adaption that he has to make here in New York and I don't know if he's going to be able to get that taken care of and be ready to go by the start of the season and be comfortable running behind that line. So I would be a little nervous taking Bell that high. I would be looking at more of a sure thing like Julio Jones in my fantasy draft. I actually agree with that take, Cal. And before we move out of the Buffalo Bills, let's talk about this Jets defense. And when I look at this Jets defense, I look at a defense that has the potential to be very, very, very stout up the middle. You have Jamal Adams, who's grown into one of the league's best safeties already in just his third year. You bring in C.J. Mosley from the Ravens, one of the league's uh, top 10 uh, three-down linebackers, and you draft Quinnen Williams from Alabama, who will play the nose tackle position and be a three-down nose tackle for Greg Williams in his defense. Can this middle of the Jets' defense be the next brick wall for offenses to have a hard time getting through? It, it's a it's a great question because it's a, it's a great core. And then when you look at the rest of that defense around the Jets, you're saying, well, you know, there are some strengths on the inside as well. You've got Mosley. You're moving Avery Williamson out of that role where he actually had a very good season last year. And how is he going to be performed being bumped out of the middle by Mosley? And then you start looking at the cornerback position as well. And that's where that Jets defense really needed an upgrade. And, you know, counting on Tremaine Johnson to bounce back after the year he had last year is asking a lot. Uh, Marcus May at free safety had injury issues last year after a promising rookie season. Is he going to be able to bounce back? There's a lot of questions there on that Jet defense outside of that core that need to come together. And, you know, that also includes the pass rush. You've got Leonard Williams and Quinnen Williams up the middle, but who's coming on the edge? There wasn't a lot of pass rush last year, and there's not a lot of leaning on Jordan Jenkins and Brandon Copeland, Henry Anderson. That doesn't seem like a winning formula right there. Oh, it most certainly does, especially considering the fact that Jordan Jenkins was more known in college as like a an edge setter in the run game, and uh, that hasn't changed pretty much uh, when he's become a pro. So the Jets, uh, your search for an edge rusher continues well into next year, unless Ja'Kai Polite can really surprise everybody during the preseason and continue that to the regular season. The year's still very thin at edge rusher. And moving from 
the Big Apple to Western New York and Buffalo. And as excited as I am about those pieces on the Jets defense, I am very, very, very excited about this Buffalo Bills defense. Very quietly, the Buffalo Bills have assembled one of the NFL's best defenses. Last year, they were second overall in total defense. They were also second overall in total DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. And this year, if you look at that defense, you've got arguably the best safety duo in the NFL with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, a top 10 corner in Tredavious White a top 10 linebacking duo in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds, the youngest player in the league, and he's already a year wiser, headed into just his second year. And you add in the draft Ed Oliver, who could be the next monster interior pass rusher in the NFL. This is an amazing defense, but looking at those stats alone and watching the tape, it feels like, to me, they're just getting started. Do you think this defense is just scratching the surface of their immense potential? Oh, I definitely do. I loved that Buffalo defense last year. And, you know, coming into the NFL draft, I thought Ed Oliver had the ability to be probably the most impactful player in the draft on the defensive side of the football. And for him to land in Buffalo, what a perfect spot for him to land. He'll be able to step right in, have a huge impact. Jerry Hughes is still one of the most underrated pass rushers on the outside, just not getting that attention. You've got Tremaine Edmonds, another year in the system to grow in that linebacker role. Lorenzo Alexander continues to make plays even at 36 years old. I don't know how he he transitioned that way, but he's done it. And talk about safety duos. Talk about, I could throw Raphael Bush in there as well as he's a starter quality safety to go with Poyer and Hyde ahead of him there. The depth of the cornerback, Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, an undrafted free agent who had a fantastic rookie season. They added Kevin Johnson from the Houston Texans. They brought in EJ Gaines for depth there as well. There's just so many layers to that defense. Uh, The only position that you can really look at and say, you know, was a weakness was, you know, the linebacker position when Matt Milano got hurt last year. It really hurt them against the run, but adding Ed Oliver in there and getting Milano back to 100%, this defense is hard to find any holes in. Oh, it most certainly is, and they're just getting started with that defense in Buffalo. But now let's focus on the offensive side of the ball, where Josh Allen is headed into his second season as the leader of that Bills offense, and their biggest priority in the offseason was improving that offensive line, and they added three key pieces in Mitch Morse at center, Ty Nisicki, who was uh, one of the more underrated swing tackles in the league, who did a great job filling in for Trent Williams these past several years in Washington, and rookie Cody Ford, who they're going to start at right tackle how much improved do you think is this Bills offensive line with those three additions it's a huge upgrade for them because that offensive line I mean yeah that when you start you know designing runs for Josh Allen because you can't block anybody that's not a good sign so you know Mitch Moore should stabilize that. He's smart. He can make the calls, the adjustments. He can take some pressure off of Josh Allen, identifying what the defense is up to as well and adjusting the offensive line and blocking scheme. So that's really a huge, a huge, huge upgrade for Buffalo. I just wish they had upgraded the skill position players at the same time. I think they did upgrade the skill position players, albeit not in a super sexy way. But one of those uh, additions brings us to our Bills fantasy focus, and that is John Brown. Word out of trading cap is that John Brown is turning into Josh Allen's favorite target in the passing game, and for good reason. This Bills offense is going to be an offense that 
uh, runs the ball way more than the league average, but they're going to open it up to give Josh Allen several deep shots per game and call out Josh Allen to make three to four home run plays per game, whether it's with his arm or with his legs. And if it's with his arm, a lot of it's going to go to Smokey Brown. And is John Brown, given his ability to hit a home run for you anytime he touches the ball, is he one of your better options at wide receiver in the 12th round, which is where his current ADP is, or later of your fantasy drafts? Uh, I'm taking him later. I mean, Smokey Brown's onto his third team now, Arizona, Baltimore. I look at him as a perpetual tease. We're getting into, what, five seasons in the NFL now, and he hasn't put it together yet. I just don't see, you know, yeah, you're going to get that occasional big hit that, you know, 60-yard touchdown one week, and then you're going to get the zero receptions for zero yards the next week. It's just too much inconsistency. I think he is what he is. He's injury-prone. He's smaller. And I just have problem pulling the trigger on John Brown that early in my fantasy draft. I would have him much, much later. If he's hanging around all the way at the end, I might take a flyer then. Thank you very much for that fantasy advice there, Hal. And from the Northeast to the Southeast, we conclude our tour around the AFC East with a look at the Miami Dolphins. And even though they won't admit it publicly, all sides say that the Miami Dolphins under first-year new head coach Brian Flores, who we'll talk about in a little bit, are prepared to take for Tua or something like that this season. But they have arguably the most intriguing trading camp battle in the entire AFC, if not the entire NFL, as Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, who they acquired in a trade with the Cardinals during the draft after the Cardinals decided, uh, Josh Rosen, you don't fit Cliff Kingsbury's scheme. Kyler Murray, you're our future, not you, Josh, is uh, captivating many minds around the league. And Brian Flores has been adamant in saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick is currently winning that battle. And Josh Rosen, you're probably only going to get one chance to let the Dolphins know whether or not you're their long-term future. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick ends up winning that quarterback battle for the week one starting job, how ominous of a side is that for Josh Rosen's future in Miami? It's a very ominous sign. I mean, Josh Rosen is a a top 10 draft pick last year. And, you know, for him to fall out of favor with two teams in less than two years, that is not a good sign for him. And if I'm Miami as well, you made the investment in Rosen. Everybody knows what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's a placeholder. I wouldn't count on him for more than two or three games before that he loses that magic. And I think the worst thing that the Dolphins could do is ride Ryan Fitzpatrick to another 6-10 and 10 kind of season and miss out on one of those top quarterbacks in the draft because he pulled out just a few really, really great games to go with his other seven or eight stinkers. That would absolutely be the worst case scenario for the Dolphins, a team that is clearly rebuilding, and you do not want to waste a draft spot by um, achieving a mediocre record in 2019. And let's talk about Brian Flores, the new head coach. He was essentially the Patriots' defensive coordinator last season, even though Belichick didn't give him the title. And his game plan in the Super Bowl against the Rams and how he shut down that offense That was one of the more masterful defensive game plans I've seen in recent Super Bowl years, along with Wade Phillips' plan against Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50, and obviously Pete Carroll's plan against uh, the Broncos and Peyton Manning in Super Bowl 48. So why do you think Brian Flores has in him that can make him that head coach off the Belichick tree that actually succeeds, whereas most others have failed? Well, that's a great question because, you know, there was a lot of people— A lot of people saying, you know, Matt Patricia could be that guy. He's his own guy. 
He's the rocket scientist, and he had a real rough season there in Detroit last season. I think if the Dolphins can be patient with Flores, he wowed the Arizona Cardinals the year before with no coordinator experience the year before that and almost ended up as that head coach, which probably would have been the right call for Arizona, but they didn't pull that trigger. He's very, very intelligent. He connects well with the players. Is One of the things that came out of New England that this past year was the obvious respect that he had and his ability to trust his veteran players. That was one of the problems that the Patriots had with Matt Patricia is there were times where the defense was so cerebral that the players were slowing down. I think part of that, you can go back to Super Bowl 52, Matt Patricia's last game as defensive coordinator and see where, you know, stepping back a little bit and trusting the players to recognize things and react on their own, not doing that hurt the team in that Super Bowl. And you can look at the opposite and see Flores where he put the plan in place. He allowed his veterans, Devin McCourty, Donta Hightower, to be able to recognize things, to be able to change up the plays themselves, to communicate and put that trust into those players. And we saw that, you know, throughout the playoffs with that Patriots defense last year. I remember that game against... um, I referenced earlier against the Chargers, that game was 38-7 to at one point, completely shutting down that offense. They shut out the Chiefs in the first half of the AFC Championship game. I mean, it was just a brilliant coaching plan. Three different teams, three distinctly different styles. And I think Flores really made his mark in those three games. And, it, and if I'm a patient Dolphins owner, I'm very comfortable with that choice of Brian Flores. Well, uh, Stephen Ross, if you're listening, uh, you have to be patient with Brian Flores because uh, if there's any Belichick assistant, in my opinion, that can uh, succeed as a head coach, it is Brian Flores. Uh, very inspiring story, son of Honduran immigrants. And uh, the gay plans you alluded to last year, those three distinct gay plans that he helped put together last year, uh, really asserted himself as a surefire uh, head coaching candidate that is capable of succeeding, despite coming from that Belichick tree. And now moving to the Dolphins' offense for a moment again. Let's talk about uh, our Dolphins fantasy focus here. Kenyon Drake, uh, his current ADP is around 63 overall, but Kalen Balazs is actually receiving a lot of first-team reps in camp, and I saw him at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago. He is a very underrated weapon in the passing game. He could juke linebackers all day long and uh, hit home runs for you in the passing game, and he is going at around uh, 124, 125 overall in the uh, middle of the 11th round, Caleb Balazs. Uh, would you be comfortable taking Kenya Drake uh, in the early 6th round, or do you think it's better to wait and take a flyer on Caleb Balazs in the 11th round as like your 5th or 4th running back on your team? Oh, I'd be much more comfortable going for Balazs. I think that with Flores bringing in and trying to build that defense, not trying to put too much pressure of, you know, on whoever ends up at, at quarterback there. Balazs is a nice big back. He's what, about 235. He can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. He has great hands, soft hands that'll make 
make him the best friend of that quarterback there in front of him. And I, I think Kenyon Drake was kind of exposed last year. You saw Adam Gase give up on him at times during the season and just hand the keys to 35-year-old Frank Gore and well, kind of cost him his job at the same time as well. But yeah, I, I, I think Drake is one of those running backs that gets drafted high and then gets released in week six when he's replaced, in this case, by Balage. I agree. So if there's a Dolphins running back to fantasy, it is Caleb Balage and not Kenya Drake. And let's talk about the defense for a second. Brian Flores' specialty is defense, as we talked about. And uh, even though uh, this Dolphins defense is far from a complete unit, uh, I think he has three good foundational pieces from which to start. You got Xavier Howard, who's now the highest paid corner in the game, and rightfully so. He's turned into a ball hawk at corner. And uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, who was uh, every bit the player the Dolphins expected him to be his rookie season last year, and he'll only get better. And you bring in Christian Wilkins, a very underrated draft pick. Uh, this uh, He kind of got lost in the shuffle with that Oliver and Quinn Williams, given this uh, class's uh, depth on the interior defensive line. But don't sleep on Christian Wilkins, man. He uh, was compared to Gerald McCoy by Daniel Jeremiah. And also, my good friend Nick Kendall thinks he could be another version of Akeem Hicks. And we saw the amazing season Akeem Hicks had last Last year uh, with the Bears. How good do you think are those three foundational pieces for Brian Flores to build off on? I I think those are some excellent pieces there. I'd also throw in Kiko Alonso in the middle as a linebacker as well as, as one of those core pieces. What I worry about what the Dolphins failed at last year, they played Minka Fitzpatrick at cornerback much of the season. He's a very versatile player, but you're not taking advantage of his strengths, having him as a above average cornerback instead of a great strong safety. I would want him near the line of scrimmage. I want him locking up tight ends, locking up running backs coming out of the backfield, being a factor in the running game and passing game. The problem is, is that Miami is paying a, a boatload of money to TJ McCoy. Donald and Rashad Jones, who are both safeties, who both best near the line of scrimmage as well in that strong safety. So you're really looking at a log jam where you've got three very, very good players who all play the same position. Move them out of position, you're weaved around them. I was very, very surprised that the Dolphins went through the draft without trading either TJ McDonald or Rashad Jones and getting some additional draft picks in between uh, with only two picks in the first four rounds. I kind of expected both of them to be gone, um, but here we are in training camp. The Dolphins still have all three, and that's going to be something for Flores to have to figure out here is how to maximize those three players in the secondary. Or trade them to a safety DD team, Dolphins. If you're really intent on taking, get some assets. He is Hale Bet, ladies and gentlemen, fullpresscoverage.com and musketfire.com. You can follow him on Twitter at HaleBent01. And Hale, my friend, I can't say how awesome it is to have you back in the saddle with us. And we are going to be seeing and hearing you all season long. But before we let you go here to enjoy some preseason football, uh, we'd like to play our favorite game here on Sports Crutch. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I just say four things, one about each AFC East team, and you tell me whether it's the truth or whether it's exaggeration, starting with the Patriots. Rob Gronkowski comes out of retirement in mid-October and catches six or more touchdowns. 
I'm going to say that is an exaggeration, David. I think Rob Gronkowski is healthy and happily retired and has caught his last pass in the NFL, was in the Super Bowl to set up that game-winning touchdown. So, exaggeration. And now moving on to the Bills. The Bills, who have an easy early season schedule, surprise many and end up at 10-6 and six and earn a wildcard playoff spot. I'm going to say exaggeration to that as well. I am just not a believer in Josh Allen, and I see the Bills' great defense carrying them to 500 or 9-7 and seven at the best, but outside of the wild card. And moving on to the Jets. And the Jets, with Le'Veon Bell, he will set the all-time record for catches in a season by a running back. And you know how in that Adam Gase, Mike Mount's offense, they love to utilize that running back in the passing game. And guys like Marshall Falk showed you how. I'm going to say that's a truth. I am not as high on Quincy and Robbie Anderson um, as many are. I thought Anderson took a step back. I think Anunwa has lost a step due to injuries over the past few years. And I think they're going to be force-feeding Le'Veon Bell to bail out Sam Darnold at points. And last but not least with the Dolphins. The Dolphins win only one game, and it will be against the Jets, which will turn out to spoil their playoff hope. Oh, that could be very... I'm going to go with the truth. I think that's great. The Dolphins should be shooting for a 1-15 season and getting their franchise quarterback in the next draft. So, yes, I say that's a good truth right there. Thank you very much, Hal Bent, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back with more 2019 NFL Division by Division previews very soon, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram at Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.